0: Hello, and welcome to Oh My God, They Were Roommates, our discussion of The Roommate AU in fanfic. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Jean.
1: And this is Draper's Fuck. Ah, The Roommate AU. Oh my God, They Were Roommates? We have to let that voice literally every time the mention of the seiyuu.
0: You are shamelessly fond of me doing that. And I do it with my whole face as well when, like, it's a transformation. I'm overtaken by a, a, you know, I'm possessed. You lucky thing. So, as the name suggests, this is where a pairing end up sharing a house together. Might be a college situation or maybe just one of them needs a place to stay.
1: Maybe they've been roommates for years, maybe they have an antagonistic morning routine, or maybe their breakfast is a carefully choreographed ballet. It's domestic as hell, and we love it.
0: There we surely do. Um, before we move on to fix, a uh, short word before we get there, given when this is being recorded and that one of these stories is based in the Harry Potter universe, we would like to take this time to say that trans people are who they say they are, and that's the end of that discussion.
1: We'll post a link to Mermaid's Gender, who are doing wonderful and really great work with young people in the UK, um, along with this episode, and we recommend that you watch Disclosure if you haven't already it's on netflix and it's about the history of trans representation in media if you know of any other great resources then do please let us know and we'll engage with them and share them too
0: another quick disclaimer that my fic which is called let nothing you dismay is rated m for mature uh, always read the tags obviously for when you're reading fic um but yeah we thought we'd, we'd say that right at the top okay i'm starting All i on. think <sighs> so this week i'm reading let nothing you dismay by Montparnasse I just I I love oh god I love this fic right um so I've taken the author's summary from um AO3 which is and um, there are a few things Sirius didn't really count on for Christmas of 1979 the extreme sexual confusion is one of them Remus Lupin is approximately 78 of the rest um in other words they are roommates and they are gorgeous idiots and I love them this this fic is set you know, before the First Wizarding War, basically. it's They've just graduated from Hogwarts and they're sharing a cottage together. And the fic tracks essentially the weeks leading up to Christmas. A little bit about my history with this fic. When we spoke last, we talked about kind of where, what our introduction to fandom was. And I said that I reckoned Tolkien was probably mine. It's true that I also spent a lot of time lurking on AO3 works in the Harry Potter fandom, largely centering around Remus Lupin because uh, I love Remus Lupin um, I think he's a super interesting figure in the Harry Potter world and has some real problematic moments in the original books um, but also people have done such interesting things with him and I've read so many excellent visions of him in all sorts of ways um, and I read quite a lot that was serious Remus Um, One of the things I would like to say about this fic is that this writer writes lots of really very painful angst, and this fic is not that, and I love Montparnasse's angst as well, but this, uh, this fic does something really special for me that I'm going to try to explain um so i think romance works as lots of storytelling does on tension there's often a lot of it around and the getting together of a fic that is centered around a get together is that kind of cathartic release of that tension and so for that reason fics where the romance is unresolved sexual tension for long periods of time or it's really heavily snarky and that's something we'll probably get into in enemies to lovers if not before are often really deeply satisfying because they build a really lot a load of tension and then they let you release it with that kind of the climactic scene. Um, That being said, I think that roommate AUs sometimes create this tension by having comfort slowly become uncomfortable because the feelings develop while they're living together. Thus, the coffee routine that was previously benign becomes fraught with tension. The previous comfort is revealed, I've said a trick here and that's not what I mean, but almost as like a, like a sort of shadow, like it's sort of through a glass darkly and it's replaced by their new way of being together once we've had our catharsis. Um, I think something else happens in this fic. For me, at least, having read it many, many times, there's no single moment of kind of really cathartic getting together. There's just this soft and growing sense of discovery, and it's this realisation that the comfort which we find our characters in as we meet them in the first sentence which is defined also by moments of discomfort is allowed and permitted is reciprocated and is not materially changed by the addition of occasionally you know getting, getting naked together um, it is, for me, partly so charming and so real because it depicts a kind of communication that is happening. A message that's being, however, subconsciously like received and communicated between the two, it's the tension that was the trick, not the comfort. The comfort was real and already perfect. And this is one of the things I think roommate AUs can do and what I'm really, really here for in those very domestic settings. Um, I am unbearably fucking soft for this fic. I think the <laughs> characterisation is absolutely glorious especially of Sirius who is not normally the person whose characterization I'm really living for in this in this pairing. I'm so here for Remus that it's it's usually him that my focus is on and actually the Sirius of this one really takes me by surprise. I remember being 19 and in love and a tool, and my <laughs> internal monologue sounded not unlike this. I was reading a lot of poetry too much of it, Auden. And I was finding it both very right and very wrong to describe how I was feeling. I definitely cried and then read, let "Let the more loving one be me. Um, Unlike Sirius, though, I was not looking at someone who could share space in my life and I was living at my parents. But you know, still, that was Joni Mitchell, right? And, And really this does it for me in ways that my ramblings may or may not have touched on, because it's about people knowing each other incredibly well. Uh, It's about people who have noticed each other and catalogued their observations, people whose domesticity is not the easy option, though it is full of ease, but has come through the work of knowing someone, and I think that's a vision of love that I I genuinely find really lovely.
1: Yeah, I so I've read this fic um, literally a couple of hours ago, so it it still feels very fresh, but I totally agree. There's something really kind of languorous about it, this kind of uh, the way time moves through it is really interesting it really is very soft and and it it it, it lingers on those moments of domesticity yeah in a way that that is really warming and yes. yeah and so, that's right yeah it, it creates this real this real sense of of tension as you say in those small moments that are kind of um kind of innocuous um and it's something i really love in um Gaskell's north and south, as you know, yes. those, those oh. moments of domesticity <laughs> you from making tea and how mm. through the prism of your love for someone else, um, and that those growing feelings, those moments become something so much more almost because of the promise of the life you you're kind of building towards it together, um, which is really nice. And oh, that north and south comparison is so is so
0: accurate. That's actually <laughs> um it's really like Yeah, the physical,
1: the sort of very languorous physicality of it is quite is quite akin to that. Yeah, I understand, and and it really was the domesticity of this Mm. book that that really stuck with me. It's you know, it's something I know you love generally in a story, but Mm. for me, I think it's particularly interesting to explore within a Harry Potter AU because we rarely get any representations of domesticity in Harry Potter in, yes. in, in the in the books as canon. In part I think because most of it is either set in a school, which is mm-hmm. a very different type of domesticity in and those indeed kind of teen moments. A different type of cohabitation. It's this dormitory style of of yeah of cohabitation which is very differently dealt with yeah, absolutely and then when you're not in Hogwarts there's a war happening yeah, right yeah. in the past and in Harry's present mm-hmm. so it's always very dramatic very fast paced no one's setting down roots and to be honest the Weasleys are essentially our only model of domestic home life yes. that we ever get and we don't really spend that much time there but when we do we know that this idea of the home and feeling safe is something that's really prized by our narrator in Harry because obviously his background as having an unhappy childhood and you know, longing for this this feeling of a, a home and a life is really prized in the Harry Potter universe. So I, th- I felt that was something that was really at play in this fic that was quite interesting. Do you know what? That's so interesting because I think, I think it... So I
0: completely agree with you. And I also think that so often the characters... Actually, when we see Sirius and Remus both engage in domesticity later in the series of books, it is an uneasy and a fraught domesticity. And for both of them it comes with a sense of outsidership and longing, the way that Sirius and Molly, for example, Clash Over Care of Harry, is very much about these sorts of, these very fraught, very fragile, very broken young men who are, not equipped in lots of ways to
1: handle domesticity. It's always very fleeting. Mm. Mm-hmm. The Harry Potter that we read in the books is always a sense in which even in the moments, you for example, you when you've got the tent scenes in the seventh book or the sixth yes. book yeah. before, and then when you get the kind of moments in Grimoire Place, there's always a sense in which it's a, a phase and it's a chapter and there's the tension there because they know it's going to end because yeah. they, their lives are full of peril and... These are only ever transitory spaces. And this fic is very much about, this is one that shared place and space that that isn't at risk or at threat. And that, of course, if we zoom out
0: from the sort of specific time that Montparnasse has chosen, it is at risk. But you're right that the ways in which domesticity happens in Harry Potter also are bookended by school holidays. So Mm -hmm. they're these necessarily temporary spaces that feel subordinate to the action of Hogwarts it's our sort of you know it it is almost like its own little AU space within within the novels and and here instead it is it is absolutely this is this is the point this is the prize and that repeated line that is written in of the oh Sirius thinks there are words for this is I
1: think really reflects that. No I agree and I I think that my other main thought was that I think mm. there's a really delightful interplay between the Muggle and Wizarding worlds throughout. Yes. And I wonder if it imparted something of, you know, the, a lot of, of the the types of activity they engage with are mm. kind of Muggle by necessity yes. in terms of it's, you know, just it's making dinner and it's small things. But I, I wonder if potentially having had this discussion if it's something broader about we never really because we never see those Wizarding forms mm. of domesticity. It's slightly harder for us as as writers and, and readers that play in this world to imagine the, the kind of wizarding equivalent. I guess, because you get scenes with Molly, obviously, mm. where she's, you the, the plates are washing themselves up yes. and stuff but we have fewer touch points I guess um, mm. but the one I, I wrote down which really stayed with me and like this main note was just in capital letters why aren't crossword fix a thing? Yes! <laughs> I i mean as someone who loves crosswords would read a thousand There is a great moment halfway through this fic where they are literally just like Remus and Sirius are doing the crossword together and they're just making joke answers mm-hmm. and was very sweet and very unwizard like and yeah if yep. there are if crossword thicks are a thing, hit us up. And you write them, yeah. <laughs> then send them to us because I, I would love them because yeah. it, it struck me when I read it. Like, why isn't this a seam of fanfic?
0: Absolutely. I mean, absolutely <laughs> because there's gold here. I mean, the only thing I'm going to add before we talk about about your fic is that I think your point about the Muggle wizarding thing is, of course, in itself a kind of cohabitation, yeah. a cohabitation within two worlds and between two people, and that is. God, fancy writers are so good at what they do. Anyway, well, that is that is actually one of the things I think is so wonderful about it. And that crossword scene where Sirius in his head is filling those words in with things that that he is thinking. And so, you know, Remus says a four-letter word for devotion, and Sirius thinks this is glorious because it is already an example of how Sirius, through his experiences with others, has moderated himself to think in a form that is essentially alien to him in a muggle crossword. And that that is, of course, part of the crux of the, the roommate AU, that it's about people thinking in each other's modes.
1: Yeah. And the only other thing I would add is the other thing that struck me that I think this does quite well is because it's a it's a quite a domestic roommates AU. Obviously, often these things happen very much within that space, like mm. the, the physical home space. And it's interesting when they go outside of those limits that those wider questions kind of come to play and I particularly thought you know it was an interesting to explore an lgbtq narrative through the lens of what would it have been like to be lgbtq in the in the kind of 70s but yeah. also in the wizarding world yes. and specifically the points they make about pure bloods and like how different types of family mm. and different types of kind of social class or kind of wizarding pedigree yeah. you like and like kind of intersect. With other types of prejudice, this idea that yeah. like pure bloods almost operate on this kind of unspoken rule that if you don't talk about it, it's fine to to be gay, but you must marry a he- you you must be heterosexual <laughs> and have children to advance the pure blood line. And I, I thought that I've never yes. I've not seen because partly because I haven't read a lot of fiction yeah. space something that that explores that within the structures yeah. of the world. I, and I think
0: it's one of the things. So having spent more time in this sort of in this. Area of fic. it is one of the things I've seen people do in different ways, but equally interesting ways where people are saying kind of how would, how does the history of LGBTQ liberation in the UK map onto? the history of LGBTQ liberation in a wizarding UK, are they the same? Are they different? Is a wizarding society necessarily more advanced, which lots of people assume, or does that not really work? And and this fic makes really interesting choices with it and includes something I adore as a bisexual woman, which is just an excellent, snarky, and yet very intensely romantic lesbian pair in Marlene McKinnon and Dorcas Meadows, Meadows, Mm. who are the sort of the brokers, in some ways, of yes. Sirius' experience, like Sirius is working out about where he falls on a spectrum. Yeah. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, no, I really, I really enjoyed it. I'm very glad you, um, yeah, um, put it my way. Um, yeah, and it has some really brilliant points. And I guess just to, to finish off this section, I wanted to read this one quote that I literally wrote out in full. I'm so excited. Was, <laughs> Touch is truth, language without tongues, confession without speech. As like a framer for not only the domesticity that they're engaging with, but also the like very poignant moments of of physical love and 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 yeah. expressions of love within it. And yeah. I thought it was it was really interesting and it, yeah, incredible kind of tone. Yeah,
0: I loved. I I, I really do. I love the tone. Um,
1: okay, what's yours? What's mine? So, uh, the fifth I've chosen for this week is called Universally Acknowledged by Her Sister's Keeper. Um, yeah, we'll share links in the bio to their kind of mm-hmm. Tumblr and A3 for all of the fics we were mentioning Absolutely. here. Absolutely. Um, but the story in a nutshell is that Ben and Ray are roommates. Um, this is obviously a Raylo fic because it's me. Um <laughs> And Ray is obsessed with Pride and Prejudice, specifically the film with Keira Knightley and Matthew McFadden. Um, Ben overall is quite indulgent of this, Mm -hmm. um, but becomes increasingly frustrated over his jealousy of a fictional character. Um, uh, And as he puts it at one point, and I absolutely love this line, um, if he had to listen to Mr. Goddamn Fitzwilliam Darcy talk about being bewitched body and soul one more time. He may just put his head through a wall. (laughs) Um, And so Ben's friend Phasma helps him realise that the only reason he's jealous and has to just get over it and himself is just to kind of tell um, Ray, his roommate, he feels, which he probably does in a very cute way which riffs off our kind of favorite austin lines and so before i continue i must issue a caveat uh, a cavity warning not a content warning <laughs> which is um that this is some serious tooth rotting fluff yeah <laughs> it is fluffy. yeah it is so now i guess why i've chosen this um for our first episode is i think because it's quite a, it's quite cute that this is a crossover of the kind of two sorts of my first fandoms which were Pride and Prejudice and Star Wars which I touched on in the the first episode we we filmed and it kind of, um, yeah, felt quite apt. Um, but also because it really reminds me of the film Austin Land, which is absolutely brilliant if you haven't seen it. It's also all about a girl who's obsessed with Austin and the manners and gentility of the Regency. But And like so much so that she runs away to a theme park style experience called Austin Land to like literally mm. live her fantasy. And I can't count how many times we've watched that film together. We have watched um, that film
0: together so many times and
1: it <laughs> never, ever gets... Oh. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's charming. You should all go watch it right now. I yeah. can't even count how many scenes we could probably act out for you here, but I, I think you should go watch it. In yeah, person because it yeah. is truly amazing. <laughs> um, so there's a moment in this thick where where Ben mentions that Ray's always measuring up Menta Darcy, which is exactly what the heroine in Austin land is always doing. I think it really resonates because it's also something that I did. And I'm sure many of us did when we were younger and when we were reading romances and, and kind of fanfics and things and wondering why we kind of never got swept off our Feet by the handsome stranger, or if we were judging our kind of teen boyfriends for not being more kind of scripted or, or polished in their declarations, yeah, yeah, which is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous when you look back. Yeah. But you know, it was something you did. And I think what I really love about this um, story is that it, it kind of sets up that idea. And Ben says it's basically mm. about how ray kind of views her men but she never actually strays into being ridiculous she isn't yeah. obsessed she isn't shown to be rejecting men left right and center over ridiculous things like oh he didn't open a door open for hers yeah like actually instead the setup is that you know ray returns to this because she finds it a genuine comfort like watching this film again and again and uses it as a way to process her feelings and kind of almost avoid being kind of uh you know, concerned or worried about the fear of being rejected in her real life, yeah. which tracks when we think about kind of raised abandonment issues more broadly. And I think separately another narrative this fit could have strayed into and I think is often actually a risk with roommates they use in particular as a genre is the friend zone. Mm, like, mm. why can't she see that I'm right here, I'm brilliant, I'm in love with her, oh, this is so unfair. You know, God, that, patriarchy hurts us all. <laughs> it really does, and yep. this story completely <laughs> avoids that. It does. Like, I think it's quite cute how, like, even though he hate kind of hates the film, he secretly loves it because of the moments it gives him with Ray. From the kind of hand holding and sitting close to one another to how he can do impressions of Lady Catherine to like make her laugh when she's down. And I think it's quite a, a, a kind of well conceived one shot because it uses Pride and Prejudice as that vehicle to surface all these little moments and memories. Um, um, you know throughout time mm. it gives it that quite nice overarching yeah. structure yeah. where you can explore their relationship and and really get that kind of snapshot without having to do kind of a multi thick arc which is lovely um and then ultimately you know Pride and Prejudice is the kind of backdrop drop for their own declaration of love and I think it's it's sweet how he kind of starts by mimicking the famous line from the first proposal and ripping mm. off it um and like almost using it for bravado in a way, right? Yeah. Leaning on yeah. this, like trying to test line, which he knows she kind of loves, and is is kind of in Ugh. his mind, I guess. If he's seeing how you know she's always you know, potentially lining up and rejecting men based on this vision of Darcy, the idea that he's mimicking that line is yeah. something quite kind of cute. But I love how he then really quickly bails, like <laughs> he uses his nerve. He says the line, and then when she pauses slightly before responding, he's like, "Oh God, if it's mm. not." If I've read yeah. this wrong, don't worry about it. It's fine. I'll go back to my room, essentially. Um, and then, actually, then, obviously, she responds. But I love that she doesn't carry on the quote. Mm. She, yeah. she just responds really authentically, which takes the kind of kitschiness out of the scene. Because when you hear him say the line, yeah. you're like, this is kind of cute, but again, I've got a cavity. This is so silly. <laughs> um, my teeth are rotting. Yeah, um, yeah. And it just brings it back a little. And I think to my earlier point, it, it shows that, like, actually, it avoids this trap of, like, Ray being this kind of crazy, fant- fantastical obsessive. And it's actually just yes, like yeah. she kind of loves this story of love that really means something to her and finds real comfort in it. But also, like, you know, what I mean, that like, isn't this kind of crazy. Like girl, which Austin kind of tap, touches on, yeah, and it I mean, avoids that. I love as well.
0: Is there anything else you want to say before no, no, I know? No, no, that okay, was my so first, I have a pun which has been bail organa's out of there, which was absolutely <laughs> open to you, and you didn't, I didn't make take it, it, and I, didn't I don't take know it. why. Um, so I have I have a lot of things to say about this, um, and I literally read this fic an hour ago because you linked it to me. Um, I think. I think you're absolutely right about the ways in which it's Austenland adjacent. And that's part of what I really, really liked about it. Um, I I am, I think, a sucker for the kind of slightly meta overtones. So, you know, Ben cribs his romantic overture from a shared reference. And that is something in itself, which is a really Austenian thing to do. Mm. So I'm thinking of Willoughby using poetry, but then Brandon using music as ways to communicate with Marianne. And the ways of which both of those are expressions of longing, but also of kinds of mutual understanding. And I really like how that works in this fic, because he does not use, if your feelings are what they were last April, tell me so at once. Mm. He uses the line that fails, the one that shows that Darcy himself is not up to scratch. So here Mm. Ray is, and you're absolutely right that this is, that she is not disappointed with these men because they are not Darcy, but that she is disappointed and that Darcy provides this focalising point, or the the romance of Austen provides this focalising point for her disappointment. Um, And I think, too, on the lines of these things being quite meta, I think in some ways this reflects some of the ways that fandom interacts with fiction it borrows and often critically consumes so so to de ben and Ray consume this media while accepting its limitations mm. there is I think you you make this point really really well about this not being you know pure idealization but being a kind of consumption that while loving understands that there are limitations here and so that is what I think stops it from straying into the the overly stereotypical and the overly kitsch, and I think it it does do that really well, I noted um, a couple of things I wanted to talk about, and I've realised how I've written this next thing, but I said, you know, I accept that neither of the points that I've just made are really about the sweet purity of the tooth writing fluff. So, and it (laughs) is... Without further ado. Without further ado, I shall dive into the cotton candy machine that is this fic. no. Uh, so there is a line in this fic about what Ray has shared with Ben as a roommate, as a platonic roommate. And it says, her food, her stories, her space. Well, if that isn't the crux of the fucking thing. I mean, that is that is why roommates <laughs> AU off, AUs are great. Because part of what it celebrates and explores is the immense privilege of other people opening up space to you. Mm. And indeed, that is something that Pride and Prejudice explores as a negotiation about how people open up their spaces to each other. Think literally of the spaces that are opened up in Pride and Prejudice. Longbourn House as Lizzie's home, Pemberley as Darcy's, the village of Lambton for Darcy as not just a horrible kind of, this is a country dance. (laughs) The worst Mr. Darcy impression I've ever done, Um, but you know, but as somewhere that nourishes and supports people, and anyway, that that we both went in a really romantic direction when we were reading fix for this, and that's going to probably be the norm for us because most of what we read is romantic. And my thoughts about let nothing you dismay are absolutely about the romance of it, but this does go for platonic relationships in situations where there are roommates and it's often also therefore an amazing trope for characterization within fics that aren't roommate au's that you know mm. where another character is the roommate of your you know one half of your pairing um it's such a genuinely lovely thing to share space with people and find that sharing grow into an a pleasurable a pleasurable pleb- a pleasurable experience between you we are of course platonic roommates uh, mm-hmm. though I absolutely do quote Austin at both you and your fiancé uh, when, uh, whenever I feel like it. Um, but I think I've had experience with, with living with people that were hard-fought and tense because of that equation, that, that sharing of space, and because it was out of balance, mm. and here it is not. And that's part of what makes it so charming too, the balance that Ray and Ben have that of course is what Lizzie and Darcy do not. And so on all of these ways, their relationship is, a, and the ways it's focalised through Pride and Prejudice is not just, gosh, isn't Pride and Prejudice lovely, but is actually this really critical kind of rendering and reading of both things. And I just, I thought that was really lovely. There's also, this is such a throwaway line. There's a line about the sound of her, of her sweatpants, which is not a word you can say in a British accent and not sound like a tit. <laughs> um, like we call them joggers and that's not better, but, um, yeah, her, her there's a like the sound of her sweatpants against the floor. And it, it really hit me about the ways in which this is, again, those things about cataloguing someone, about knowing them mm. that can be so lovely in soul, in um, soulmate AUs, in roommate AUs. Um, th- this is a, that is a sound Ben knows and therefore by extension,
1: Ben knows what comfort sounds like for yeah. Ray. There's another scene as well uh, that's exactly like that where he he's her sigh through a wall mm. and he wonders like what scene she's at and it like imagines that he knows which one yeah and and obviously then you because it, this flick is split perspectives it starts with Ben then switches yes. to Ray which I also think is quite a successful um, uh, thing about the one shot as well yeah in terms yeah of the balance again yeah. that it brings and the perspectives of both of them but this idea that you're kind of constantly potentially kind of picking up and hearing things that you shouldn't and that mm. that's about like hearing things through walls and the 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 little things that you pick up about living with someone mm. as well. And then maybe obviously there are other things that are in this kind of genre as it were that will explore that in very different ways. Yeah. And overhearing things that you shouldn't as a classic yes trope in in various ways and and again that that feeling of of space being so integral so integral and, and in this fic particularly and it's not to say i've never read it
0: done with overhearing things you shouldn't and it not being brilliant i absolutely have but in this fic again like let nothing you dismay the permissiveness the the the, the ways in which everything that happens is is permitted ray knows that ben knows she's watching that that's there's nothing illicit about those moments of cataloging each other yes trust yeah that's really yeah,
1: implicit in the fic
0: we're hot for trust we're 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 super into yeah. trust and consent yeah. essentially exactly. is is part of what we're saying here and of course of course we are but also there is here are two examples where it is rendered extremely differently Mm. but yeah really well world specifically and these are just these are scattered thoughts but i like the way that this format the roommates format does also let you do quite nice things with characterization of ancillary characters and they're not huge here um because it's quite a short fic actually but um you know the i love that phasma's still about if only for my deep love of Gwendolyn Christie as an actress. Um, and having her be this interrogative this interrogative influence that's made benign by the genre switch is, is really nice as well, because obviously Phasma's yeah. an interrogating force in the films. And here she is too, and that characterisation gets to stay but be completely recontextualised. Yeah, she's kind of like is, your Marlene
1: foil in this film. Yeah, that facilitator figure and again yeah. to the points we were making around space I think friends often work really interestingly within roommates AUs mm-hmm. because of this idea of them as an observer yes. and the, the, the space of the house being somewhere that is so tied up in the way that those two characters are like forming feelings about each other that actually any Of viewers of that become, even if they're close friends, become these like almost Almost. audiences like we are to this unfolding, particularly if it's you know at a stage where you know everyone knows but them, yeah, they're oblivious and it's fine, exactly. And
0: no, and I think that's really actually thinking about what we were just saying about the ways in which they are fix about trust and cataloguing and really understanding each other. That That's an understanding that happens in the absence of an audience, mm. and then it is the surface shows of it that audience members then pick up you know in the form of their friends and us then pick up on, which I think is I think is really great and yeah, I think in general the the odd nod to other ships, Hucks and Rose, I think are the ones that the friends who marry and that's that's where they know each other from, and there's a sort of i have chosen to interpret it as a storm pilot nod because yep, no, I'm here for that, you know who we were super good at portraying. Space Husbands it was Oscar Isaac and John Boyega and I'm here for it it was amazing and I will complain about what the third film did at another time in another space and very loudly but um but yes and that again helps feel that helps make the the world feel very rounded in the almost eight years since we have known each other we too have had friends that have moved in the ways this is this is described you know in and out of each other's houses and lives in and out of relationships with each other and it, it lends a really pleasing verisimilitude to a fic that is you know cavity inducing fluff and I think I do always I do like I do like those edges of sort of those reflections of yourself that you catch in in fics like that
1: mm. yeah I agree <laughs> is it for our, our first episode um, so check out our tumblr where we'll list and link to all the wrecks in this episode and direct you to our two featured writers this week but also some other things that we do love in this space um, um, as well so you can read them yeah, we hope you liked this episode. Um, leave us some love on Tumblr.
0: Follow Trope Fuck on Spotify and Anchor. And yeah, mostly just uh, get in touch. We're also at tropashell at gmail.com if you want to send us anything longer. But um, yeah, get in touch and tell us what you think. Send us fic, Send us send us things. And yeah, thanks
1: so much for listening.